Hey, everybody, this is Omar Miranda with this week's What's Your Problem? You know, um, last week, um, the, um, the middle school that, uh, that I go and work at, when I see students there sometimes for counseling, um, just finished something called a, a book fair. When I was a kid, I remember um, getting these little, um, these little sheets of paper, like little newspaper script with all sorts of uh, descriptions of different sorts of books and all sorts of really cool um, cartoons. And actually, I, I bought a couple of books. I bought some books for my son. I bought a, a graphic novel and I bought some other stuff. Um, and I totally, totally, totally took advantage of the company that was selling books. I got a graphic novel for a dollar forty-nine. For those of you who buy graphic novels, you know that's a steal. Usually, there, you know, you're lucky if you can find one for fourteen or fifteen dollars. Anyhow. Um, but I remember seeing all these all these uh, books uh, at the at the book fair, and uh, you know not just at the book fair, but whenever I go to the Barnes and Noble or the bookstore, or even on Amazon.com or online, um, and it's not just with books, but it's with movies and with TV. Um, it seems that there's just a lot there that uh, that really focuses on um, dystopian uh, themes. And what is this? What is dystopia? You might add. Well, you know, basically a dystopia. Is um, it is it is uh, a genre that focuses on the fact that the world and culture will be worse tomorrow than it is today. It's basically kind of a, a negative, uh, pessimistic perspective of the world, uh, and you know it, it's really um, as a as a as a father. It, it really bothers me that uh, my children have these things like this is the thing that's that's hot, that's selling, um, and people are just eating this stuff up. But but as a counselor, too, I see this perspective in a lot of the people that I see. And it's not just with middle schoolers or high schoolers or elementary schoolers, but I also work with people in college and, and, and older people. And, you know, I find that 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 this trend um, it, this, this, this trend with popular culture is just dip, dishing up this scenario after scenario of oppression and, and genocide and, and toxic ecologies and toxic societies. You know, some days, I don't know about you, but it feels like it just every time I turn around, there's another movie or book or TV show or website injecting this perspective into our, into our psyche. You know, it's making me freak out a little. Can you imagine how, how uh, a consistent diet of, of, uh, of this stuff would affect us. Well, you don't have to imagine. Just look around. Look at culture. Uh, you know, you can tell me. You don't have to be a counselor or a psychologist. Uh, you can tell me. You know, how many people do you know that are on, um, you know, anti-depression, anti-anxiety medicine? Now, listen, listen. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that there aren't some people who who have. Uh, a, 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 a problem in their brain with chemicals and they need those medications. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying those things are overprescribed because of the garbage that we put into our minds, the stuff that we listen to, the stuff that we watch, the stuff that we focus on. When I was a kid, I would complain to my father because he would, he, would, he would never let me watch TV shows or movies that were violent or scary. Um, he would shake his finger at me and he would softly but firmly say, son, garbage in, garbage out. Really what we choose to focus on profoundly affects us. And, and you know, as a mental health counselor, 
With more than 20 years in the business, I know the value and power of a positive perspective. There's a ton of research proving the benefit and the power of positive thinking. And now, listen, I'm not here to talk to you about positive thinking. I, I think it's wonderful that, uh, that we should have as Christians, we should have positive thinking. But as Christians, we need to focus on more than just what we, quote unquote, can do ourselves. Uh, you know, and I've, I've counseled a lot of clients and I can attest to the fact that if they choose to consciously focus on positive things, they really do have a healthier, happier overall life experience. Interestingly enough, though, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a wonderful checklist of what types of things we need to focus on. I remember when I was a kid, um, whenever I would ask my mom and dad, you know, uh, you know, why I couldn't watch these movies, they would always pull this thing out. It's like they memorize this one verse, Philippians 4, 8, and it says, keep your minds on whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Furthermore, Paul tells us how often we need to be focusing on those things. In fact, he says in, this, in the second part of that verse, he says, don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. That's Philippians 4, 8. Philippians 4, 8. But then he went on, and, and he basically just kind of slapped the Christians living in Rome. And really, it's kind of a slap in the face to us as Christians. Um, he says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And that's exactly what God wants to do with us. He wants us to be mature Christians. So let me ask you a question. Why are we so immature as Christians? Why are so many of us so negative? What's the draw? Why are so many people, not just teenagers, not just middle schoolers, not just young adults, interested in a negative dystopian genre. Well, the numbers don't lie and consumers speak. You actually, you know, they don't speak. They shout. They shout with their preferences, with their money. Writer Mindy Weisberger, in her essay exploring this fascinating phenomenon titled, I, I hope I said her name right, Weisberger, W-E-I-S-B-E-R-G-E-R. -E -E she said in her, in her essay, end of the world as we know it. What's the draw of dystopian sci-fi? She basically says that this is a way for people in general to work out their own anxieties and fears into something in a somewhat positive and healthy way. She also states that many people feel that dystopia is the way the world is ultimately headed. You know, they, they recognize the threats of global warming, artificial intelligence, cybercrime, weapons of mass destruction, you know, uh, uh, um, not just uh, how about uh, diseases like Ebola and, and cancer and uh, uh, people shooting up schools and people shooting up places of, of work and uh, all sorts of stuff happening all around us. Writers use dystopian fiction as a way to introduce and explore these serious and crucial topics in a way that promotes healthy dialogue about what can be done now to avoid a dystopian future. And I get it. As a counselor, you know, I'm a writer. I get it. I write stories. As a counselor, as a freelance writer, and as a published author, I believe in the power and transcendence of writing and journaling. In fact, um, I, 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 
I believe in writing. I write personally for myself because I enjoy it. I also write to get to get published. I write to get paid, but I also assign it to people. Um, I want people to write. Um, it's it's a really good way of getting out, you know, what's inside, making it, you know, getting it out into a way that's healthy. Um, but the tragic truth is that many of us in this world have no real and lasting peace or hope. You know, it, the only peace that comes from a connection with Jesus, our Creator. And no sense that he has a plan for our future. In the midst of all the bad news happening around the globe, it's almost as if we're on a collision course with our own self-destruction. In fact, the Bible, despite all its promises of a bright future, describes our present state like this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's Romans 8.22. So what are we to make of this? How are we to deal with it? Well, several years ago, uh, I worked in a hospital emergency room um, working with people in mental health and substance abuse crises. They would, you know, they would walk in um, and they were coming off of something or wanted to, you know, were feeling suicidal or were seeing or hearing things. And I, I would, you know, kind of work with them and then talk with the doctors and the psychiatrists and find out where they needed to go to help them. Uh, but I remember one day um, I was paged to, to interview a woman who was brought in to see us because she was laughing during a funeral. Now, listen, uh, you know, a lot of people grieve in their own different ways. I remember when I was I was in college, I was like a sophomore in college, my second year in college, my grandfather died, and I was sitting in the back row with my cousins, and we were telling jokes. Uh, and my grandma came back there, and she slapped, slapped us all in the face and whacked us with a paper and told us to be respectful. And that's not what I'm talking about. Um, she was like laughing hysterically at like nobody. There was... Nobody talking to her that we could see. Uh, and uh, I would later find out that she was a longtime sufferer of a mental health um, diagnosis called schizophrenia. And she was a frequent visitor to the, to the emergency room. Do you think that the people at that funeral noticed that she wasn't sad, she wasn't grieving, or she wasn't crying? Yeah, <laughs> you bet they did. In fact, so much so that they called 911. She didn't have to say a word. Her total 180-degree uh, behavior deviated um, from the um, regular emotion of response to the situation that she was in. It was a tragic situation, both for the funeral goers whose grieving was interrupted and for the woman and her family who had a long-term serious mental illness to cope with. But it was hard not to see a funny side of what happened as well. You know, there's... There's comedy in the incongruous when there's such an obvious mismatch. And the situation reminded me that the Bible says people who are connected to God will have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. That's Philippians 4, 7. In other words, translation, people who don't know God intimately won't be able to make sense of a Christian's unnatural and freakish peaceful and a hopeful response to the apparently dystopian events that are happening all around us. You want that peace? You can have it. Jesus promises it, but it only comes with a relationship and through a relationship 
with him. Paul clearly makes the point that Christians have hope, not only because of what Jesus did for them on the cross, but more importantly, don't miss it, because of what he did for them at the tomb. Paul tells a group of believers in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 26, that if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then they had believed a lie. And not just the message they're sharing with others, by extension, their lives as well are useless and they are without hope. They're actually worse off than people who are non-Christians. But, but if Jesus' resurrection is true, if it's real, then Christians have something to look forward to as well as something to offer this hopeless world. A forever relationship with God, the originator and giver of hope and peace and joy. So, let me ask you this question. Do you, do you have hope? Well, let me ask it another way. If you died today, do you have a hope and a peace that you would have something to look forward to? Something better than this broken existence on this broken planet? I certainly hope that you can answer yes. Listen, if you don't have a Christian faith, don't despair. You don't have to be hopeless about today or tomorrow because God's got it covered. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to make to read make-believe books or watch uh, science fiction movies or TV shows about how much more depressing the future will be. No, no, no. You can begin to connect with and follow Jesus today, right now, in fact. He loves you so much that he came to this earth to live the perfect life, die a horrible criminal's death so that you could have the opportunity to live eternally with him. That's John 3.16. How's that for hope? Listen, if you want some real hope, read the real-life non-fiction last book of the Bible about God's joy and peace and, yes, hope. Listen, listen to, to this beautiful passage of Scripture. No longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Today, today, purposely choose to make a paradigm shift and focus not on dystopia, but on the coming utopia that having a forever relationship with God offers. He's the only real hope that any, any of us have. Listen, this is Omar Miranda with What's Your Problem? As my mama says, love Jesus with all your heart mind, and strength. He's always watching. Make good decisions. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.